1: And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started.
2: Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. Uh, We're part of the Baltimore Sports and Life Radio Network, and we are the podcast to discuss the Orioles minor leagues. We got a really interesting show this week. We're going to note some changes to the minor league schedule that have taken place at the AAA level, as well as get into some of our early thoughts on spring training. And we're going to discuss some of the top 100 prospect lists that came out over the offseason. There's been prospect lists coming out since the fall that we really have not had a chance to visit on this show. We're going to talk about them tonight, look at some of the lists, where the Orioles rank and what it says about the Orioles system coming into 2021. But before we get into that, uh should note we were brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful historic downtown Westminster. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So I noted there was a change in the minor league schedule to AAA level, which is when we were on the air last week, AAA had been announced as starting in April with the AA and A-ball levels starting in May. Now AAA will be starting as well with Major League Baseball planning to bring back the alternate site concept that we saw last year as a way to get players close to their Major League clubs after spring training uh, in case they need to come up in the event of an injury or a player uh, testing positive and need to be pulled mm-hmm. off the roster for COVID-19 concerns. Um, But what this means is that now AAA will start in May with the rest of the full season minor leagues. Uh, There will still be off days on Monday. There will still be no all-star game. The season will still wrap up in September, but it just means that when the Orioles take the field at the beginning of April for opening day, the Norfolk Tides will be about a month behind them. Whereas before they would have been starting about the week afterwards. Um, I guess for me, the timing of this is a surprise, but I'll get your guys' thoughts, starting with uh, Bob.
0: Yeah, it's disappointing for sure. You know, we're all excited for going to have at least AAA right away in April, April 6th, I think it was supposed to be, and then next thing you know, it's gone, but it really kind of makes sense with everything going on. We're so close now to the vaccinations really getting out at a broad scale, and This pandemic, fingers crossed, hopefully on the way down. So the more time you can buy yourself, then the safer it could be for everyone involved. So it makes sense, but it's disappointing for sure.
2: Yeah,
1: he said we're so close and to have baseball ripped away from us again, minor league baseball specifically. uh, It is disappointing, but... Like you said, I feel like there's a big bright light at the end of this pandemic tunnel now, and things are definitely looking on the up and up. Uh, So hopefully this extra month does something a little more. Uh, You know, in Virginia, we could have a thousand people at stadiums as of right now. You figure by early May, if everything continues on this trend, you can have a pretty significant crowd safely at Harbor Park. So uh, and hopefully in Maryland. I don't live in Maryland. So you guys have to tell me what's what's going on up there. But I mean, yeah, I think for right now, you know, it's, it is disappointing, but at at the end of the day, you're going to have all four levels of the minor leagues are going to have full schedules. There may not be all-star games, there may not be playoffs, but they're going to get around 120 or so games across this year. And after last year, getting no games, it's a huge bonus and it's, it's a lot better than nothing right now.
2: Yeah. I guess for me is I wonder why MLB could not have seen this at the onset that they were going to want to push the AAA season back. Um, it kind of seems to me like they should have held off on releasing the AAA schedule if they knew that they were going to change it this quickly. But aside from that point, I do think that in the end this could work out, having all the minor leagues start at the same time, but then still have that option of the alternate site, which I don't believe it's been announced where the Orioles alternate site is going to be yet. It was Bowie last summer. It could be that again because of the proximity to Candom Yards. Um, Just to have players come up and we were talking about this before we went on air. John Mioli at the Baltimore Sun wrote a piece today, and it kind of was suggested in that article that the alternate site might be used more for players that are older guys that have maybe already been in the major leagues and have been at tri- AAA, would have been at AAA um, normally and not so much the top prospects like the Gunnar Hendersons and Grayson Rodriguez's that we saw at Bowie last summer as those players are going to be down in Sarasota getting ready, hopefully to start a minor league season in May. One thing that I kind of am hoping that this will lead to, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, is that I I kind of think now MLB should look at going with 28-man rosters for the first month of the season. Most teams are going to be having six starting pitchers, it looks like, um, or at least a significant chunk of them are. And it's going to give you an opportunity to fit in a guy, and this is someone I know we're probably going to talk about a little bit later on, But a guy who's on the bubble like a DJ Stewart could get that first month in the major leagues to uh, prove that he can stay up there rather than having to go back to AAA or spend that time at the alternate site. Just that little bit of roster flexibility up front, I think, would help if you're not going to have AAA start right away.
1: Yeah, I think you're, that's exactly what you're going to say. You're going to see at least two or three guys added to that. Um, they could probably expand, ta- expand the taxi squad rosters, but I don't, I don't think they're going to do that. I think probably within the next two weeks or the day before opening day, most likely, let's be honest here, they're going to say you can have 28, 29-man rosters at this rate, especially with without having minor league baseball starting right now. I think it makes a lot of sense to at least get things going. As you mentioned, a lot of teams looking to go with six man rotations. So maybe there's a plea right now to major league baseball from teams to say, Hey, if we can get just two extra spots, you bring in two extra guys, Looking at the Orioles roster, you know, guys like Ashton Godot's your Connor greens, those types of guys now have a higher chance of making the team. Uh, So it could be a a win-win for a lot of these guys.
0: Yeah. And it might save Chris Davis, you know, another month on a major league team. You never know. But yeah, it makes, that would make a lot of sense. 28 man roster, at least until the minor league seasons kick off in full force. And yeah, I don't see why they wouldn't do it at this point. You know, I don't think they really want to risk shuttling people back and forth from alternate sites as much as they might have to, if they stick with 26.
2: Yeah, that's that's a good point. So something to keep an eye on, but for now, the Triple-A season will start in May rather than April, as was originally announced. But uh, hopefully that will stay on track. And by the beginning of May, we'll be talking about minor league opening days on this show. Um, The good news, though, is that spring training is underway and it's gotten off to a good start so far. We're only a few games into it as the Orioles started on Sunday with their game against the Pittsburgh Pirates. But um, there's been some interesting things so far, which Nick wrote about today on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com was a look at spring training. And if you are listening to the show and you've not read the piece yet, I go encourage you to read it because I think Nick does a good job uh, kind of summarizing what we've seen so far, but then some of the things we should be watching um, over the coming weeks left spring training.
1: Yeah. I mean, just some of the battles to look for. I mentioned in the piece, you know, I feel like the infield's pretty much set. You can maybe make a case that Rio Ruiz and his job is on the bubble, but I think Bannon Bannon's probably gonna spend some time, maybe at that alternate site, spend a little bit more time at AAA before he threatens to take starting third base job. Uh, if he does, so I think the infield is a pretty largely set for now. But the outfield, it seems like there's a competition, a serious competition out there in center field right now. Which you know we can talk about Austin Hayes versus Cedric Mullins. Uh, but with the pitching staff, you know that the back end of that rotation, it's who's going to step up. I mean, it seems like. Wade LeBlanc is now not only pushing for roster spot, but he's fighting John Means for opening day after his outing today. Um, you know, Adley Rutschman proved that he was about he was going to be a bust until he got that RBI double. Uh, so you know, saving saving everybody's hopes and dreams there. But in all seriousness, I mean, it's it's been a fun couple games, first games of spring. I've uh, seen some good things. Um, not necessarily any concrete takeaways that that I'm going to have from these first few games, but a few positives that I hope continue to trend this way. Uh, And I think the big thing, the most important thing was obviously the return of Trey Mancini. Uh, I think had everybody feeling emotional, uh, which is great to see, but yeah, I mean, there's a few competitions and I think the biggest one though, is that Austin Hayes versus Cedric Mullins debate. I think that's going to be the hot ticket this spring for the Orioles.
0: They're both off to a really good start. So, It looks like both can make the team at least to begin on. maybe they'll platoon a little bit more than we originally thought, but it's been definitely awesome just to have baseball on the daily, you know, timeline going through Twitter every day, looking at the updates, even if it hasn't been a nine inning game yet, which is super weird, but uh, (laughs) especially John means getting pulled in the first inning, coming back out, pitching the whole entire second, but it's been fun to have baseball back, even if it is in this weird version but to me, the most interesting thing so far is the only game that w- was actually on TV for us to watch was on Monday, and that was when we got to see both of the Rule 5 guys pitch. So I'm curious to talk about them and how they looked, what you guys thought.
2: Yeah, I was impressed by both of them, I believe, through scoreless innings. Um, Wells, I thought, looked really sharp. Soroller, I thought, did a good job getting out of that jam that he had a little bit, little bit of in that inning. But both pitchers looked pretty sharp. I mean, given the circumstances, they haven't pitched in, you know, over a year. Uh, coming into a new organization, I still wonder what the path for them to make the opening day roster looks like. Um, especially if it does stay at 26 players, which for now, that's where it is. But, you know, I think they both looked good. And if you wanted to see early signs that these guys might stick around and camp for a little bit, I think that Monday's outings were it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I mentioned, you know, seeing, watching Zach Lothar pitch uh, for the first time in a while. That was fun to watch as well. But I think it was just good to see Tyler Wells on the mound. Uh, it's been you know, closer to two years for him after Tommy John surgery and then 2020 happening. Uh, but I think it's good that right after the game, I think Brandon Hyde came out and said that they plan on giving Zach Lothar a long look this spring. And I kind of put him in that Bruce Zimmerman type mold. I think his I think his ceiling is a little bit higher, uh, to be honest. But in same the, that Bruce Zimmerman mold, in that he's kind of that fully baked prospect. The that, that term that we stole from Eric Longenhagen, um, There's not a lot more projection left with Lothar. Uh, he's a solid pitcher. A lot of deception and delivery. Good movement on the fastball. It's really at this point in spring training the few opportunities we're going to get to watch spring training games, you know, can he get swings and misses? Cause we saw the strikeout rate kind of go down as he's gone up through the system. The walks have come up more advanced hitters. Aren't uh, you know, they aren't swinging and missing at, at his pitches like they were in the lower minor leagues. So hopefully if the strikeouts go up and he keeps pounding the strike zone, I think it's going to be a good spring for Zach Lothar. We may see him pretty soon. Uh, but you know, Jemai Jones is another one. We saw him very, very briefly, but that's one kind of more stat line scouting with these box scores. I think he's going to be a guy that I fall in love with pretty quickly as well.
0: Yeah, it is fun to see. Hey, he had a pretty good game today, right? He had two or three hits. Yep. Yeah. I did, Yeah. I got the glimpse that I didn't get to really study the highlights or anything for today, but going back to, I thought Tyler Wells looked as advertised, kind of big presence on the mound. Fastball looked good. Curveball looked good. Sroller, his stuff looked a little bit better than I expected actually, but he obviously had a little trouble commanding it. Um, Yeah. So I got Ryan Ripken, first base, could be uh, competing for that spot.
2: I do want to go back to that center field battle for a moment because Austin Hayes just homered homered today. Uh, He's off to a really good start in camp, and now all the caveats about spring training stats apply, especially this early on. But he's hitting the ball really well. Uh, There's reason to be optimistic about Cedric Mullins. And now that Mullins is going to stick to only hitting left-handed, he's not going to be a switch hitter anymore do you think that increases the chances of us seeing a platoon in center field to start the year?
0: I think it increases his chance to at least, you know, worm his way into a little more playing time than just strictly a fourth outfielder, because especially when his triple was off a lefty and he had another hit off of a lefty, lefty on lefty. Um, I think it definitely will give him a chance to just maybe even if it's starting in left field every once in a while, or moving Hayes to left field while he starts in center Mountcastle moves to first or DH every once in a while. I think if he can continue to, you know, play off of this hot start and keep it going, and definitely improves his chances of playing time.
1: Yeah, I think Austin Hayes has like reached base in five or six of his seven plate appearances, so definitely a hot spring. Had the home run today. I think with Mullins, uh, if only batting from one side of the plate is definitely going to increase his chances. Uh, He can only focus on this part of his game. Now Uh, the defense is there. We know how great that defense is going to be out there in center field. And I think if anything, maybe not like a full platoon, but if Austin Hayes does win the starting center field job, Mullins then can come in and maybe give Hayes a day or two off a week. Uh, I think if anything, to keep Hayes healthy, reduce that risk of injury because we know that the injury risk is ever present when it comes to Austin Hayes. So I think if Hayes wins it, you've got Mullins there to spell him for a few days, and you see Hayes you know, take a significant amount of time off just to keep him fresh. But I, I wrote my piece today, if Mullins wins the starting job, I think we've got a lot, lot more questions when it comes to the Orioles outfield. But we'll have to see how this competition plays out.
2: Yeah, and I think the other thing it does, and although I know the three of us have said on this show before, that we think Ryan Mountcastle's defense in left field is a little better than what some of the worst-case scenario reports you were reading. He was coming up from the minor league suggested but I think it's still easy to imagine easier to imagine the outfield defense being better with Hayes and left Mullins and center or the reverse and Mount Castle at first base um, with Mullins and left and Hayes and center regardless though having Hayes Mullins and Santander in your, in your outfield is better than Mount Castle or Hayes or Mullins and center and then Santander and right.
0: Yeah, it's
2: a good point. Yeah. yeah, so we'll definitely see how that plays out. But uh, in the meantime, head over to com to check out Nick's latest piece, uh, Spring Training Questions to Ponder. So good story from Nick today. We're going to get in now to the top 100 prospect lists that came out over the offseason. Um, these came from other outlets, generally the ones that you associate with prospect coverage, such as Baseball America, MLB Pipeline, Um, baseball prospectus. Those were some of the ones we're going to cite here. We also have uh, some stuff from Keith Law and ESPN and Fangraphs. Fangraphs, by the way, just released their Orioles top prospects list today. So that's uh, something worth checking out. But the players who appear in top 100 lists kind of are the ones that you would suspect would have been there. It's uh, Adley Rutzman not only is the consensus top prospect in the Orioles farm system, but is regarded as one of the best prospects in baseball. Certainly top three, top five um, overall, according to most lists. Grayson Rodriguez generally ranks pretty high um, for a young pitcher. So, but then you have D.L. Hall, Ryan Mountcastle, and Heston Kerstad in those lists. Um, Over at com's message board, if you go to the um, O's, minors and Drafts section, there has been an updated prospects list thread has been running since august with the latest list on there leading up to the 2021 season um you can find the list there but bob did something before the show where he took it and put it into an average correct for each player
0: yeah i took the big six that came out with their top 100 prospects uh list was baseball america baseball prospectus keith law mlb pipeline espn slash Kylie McDaniel, and then Fangraphs with Eric Longinghang and, and uh, Kevin Goldstein now added there. I took, you know, the it was basically the same five and all. Some of them had only four. In that case, I put a... Anyway, I did a weird thing to kind of get the average uh, kind of normal. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it was, like you said, Ali Rutschman. He pretty much averaged third, thanks to Keith Law having him down at six. He got a... Averaging number three spot. Grayson Rodriguez averaged 32 overall. Uh, D.L. Hall averaged 68 and a half. Ryan Mountcastle averaged 76 with a high of 28 at baseball prospectus and then not even on Keith Law's list, which seems pretty bad since he came up and raked last year against Major League Pitching, but whatever. And Heston Kersad averaged 81st.
2: Yeah, so that's a wide range of outcomes. And with D.L. Hall in particular, I I wrote this down before we went on the air. Keith Law has him 49th. Baseball America has him 59th. But then ESPN has him 97th. So that kind of gives you a taste of where he ranks on the list. And honestly, I don't really understand why. I think if I had to look at him across the board, I'd probably come closest to Baseball America's rankings. You know, just um, not quite in that top upper half of top 100 prospects but still not in the bottom quarter of the list. Um, So what are your thoughts there? And I'll start with Nick. Do you think it's because we didn't have a 2020 season where we could see Hall's command improve? Or do you think there are some other concerns there?
1: No, I think that's largely it. I mean, the walks, the walks are bad. (laughs) The walk numbers are really, really bad. Uh, But, yeah, I think this is going to be one area that we could talk more about Keith Law's rankings, but this is going to be the one area that I've said before that I kind of agree with Keith Law on. And He's been consistently higher on D.L. Hall than Grayson Rodriguez. Not by much, but it's that ceiling. D.L. Hall had, does have that little bit higher of a ceiling, I think, just because he's a lefty who can throw 97, 98 miles an hour. He can hold that velocity really deep into outings. We saw that in 2019. Uh, and so you don't see a lot of guys like that. Uh, even in Eric Logan Hagen's report today, I think he noted what only Blake Snell and one other pitcher.
2: I have to go back and look. Um, okay, I'm looking at oh, now Hazus Lazardo.
1: Yeah. Hazus Lazardo and Blake Snell. Those are the only two lefties in baseball that throw harder than DL Hall. Uh, so, but of course, I mean, velocity isn't everything. You got to be able to locate your pitch. And that's been the big issue here, but I'm not willing to bet money against DL Hall, but I think where you can say I'm going to slot him lower, like maybe Kylie McDaniel did at ESPN is maybe that, that risk he's a much riskier prospect. And so while the ceiling is high, the floor is also pretty low. I think Logan Hagen noted that he would probably slot deal hall as a middle reliever right now. He sees him excelling there, which I think a lot of Orioles fans would instantly scream no uh, and disagree with that. At least for right now, I'm keeping him in that rotation and letting him go until uh, he proves he can't uh, stick around anymore. But the ceiling is just way too high for him, I think. But there definitely is a wide range of outcomes when it comes to DL Hall.
0: Yeah, I think it has to be just the control, even the command issues that are kind of keeping him down a little bit lower on some lists. Although that video that came out with him uh, like a couple of weeks ago with him practicing and he was, what, touched easy 97 miles an hour. Man, his stuff looks good. You know, if even if he goes to the bullpen, I feel like he's elite closer possibility, but... You, like Nick said, you got to keep running him out there, trying to get that control at least good enough where he can give you five, six innings like Blake Snell, and then you pull him for whatever the relief pitcher that blew the World Series was.
2: Yeah, the ceiling is too high to already start thinking about making that move to the bullpen, and I would suspect and hope that the Orioles are going to give Hall every opportunity as a starter, bring him up to the major leagues as a starter. One thing that Aaron uh, Long and Hagen noted that I wanted to point out here was that Paul has yet to cross a 100 inning plateau in his career which is true. But what would your expectations be for him innings wise this year when we know the minor league season is going to be shorter than normal and that pitchers probably are going to be brought back a little slower because of ba- basically having had a year off.
0: That's
1: a yeah. Good I think, yeah. I think you're going to see a lot of six-man rotations even down on the farm system uh, to start out. You're going to work these guys really slow, especially your top prospects. You're not going to want to throw Grayson Rodriguez, even though they were at the alternate site and they got a lot of great work in. And I think you know there's notes there that these guys threw you know five, six, seven hundred pitches at the alternate site. Uh, so you're in some type of game setting, but you're not in a real an actual game against another opponent where that adrenaline is a lot different. Uh, So I think you definitely want put, to put the gloves on, the, the, the kid gloves on with these guys to start the year because, God forbid, something happens to Grace Rodriguez or D.L. Hall in a month from now when the season starts.
0: Yeah, I think you're going to see five innings a week, you know, say for five months, it's about 80 to 100 innings maybe you can expect from your your best guys, which wouldn't be terrible.
2: No, I think that would be a good outcome um, given the circumstances. Um, I wanted to talk about Ryan Mountcastle because Mountcastle barely qualifies for the top 100 list. He barely qualifies as prospects coming into the 2021 season. He was really good in the major leagues last year, and we did see some improvements with the pitch selection and the defense in particular. But did that change the calculus enough for either one of you to think, looking at baseball prospectus list, that he's within the top 30 of all prospects in baseball?
0: No. I
2: I mean,
1: for me, seeing Ryan Mountcastle as high as he was on all of these lists, I think, if if anything, it just kind of affirmed my – uh, you know, my excitement for Ryan Mountcastle heading into 2021 because you saw him kind of drop near the bottom, the back end of the top 100 on a lot of these major lists. And then after the 2020 draft, he completely fell off pretty much every list. And it seemed like he he was done as far as the top 100 prospect is concerned. But I think we saw that small sample size. He raked, he walked almost a 10% walk rate. That's not sustainable. We know that, but I mean, the swing is amazing. He's dominated every single level. I think this is definitely something that can hold the defense is, is passable. It's going to work for right now. Uh, So I think it's, if anything, him being in the fifties, sixties on on these major lists back up, it says that it's okay to get excited about Ryan Mountcastle this year. He may not be a multi-time all-star, but he's going to be a very good above league average hitter for the Orioles, hopefully for many years to come.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, He's look on ESPN's list. He's right there with Hall in the '90s. But whereas Hall is like a high ceiling, low floor, I feel like Mountcastle is more like a a high floor and not necessarily that high of a ceiling, especially for the positions that he's going to play at the major league level—first base, DH, even left field. So I think it's pretty much his bat is going to be usable. He's going to have a lot of years in major league in major league lineup somewhere, but he might not, you know, be a 30 plus homer hitter every year consistently. And yeah, I think that's just where I'm at with him. 28 seems a little extreme, but I'd be happy if baseball prospectus was the ones uh, that knew something. The rest didn't.
2: Yeah, I agree. I'd be completely happy if they were onto something there. I, I do think that coming into this year, he should be on every top 100 list because the track record, as Nick said, is just so good. And then we saw the improvements that he made it to major league level last year. And the one point that I, I've made with Malcastle a few times is that he's generally been young for the level wherever he has played. So when you put that into context, I think it makes his track record all the more impressive. Even if you have the flaws, like the high strikeout totals and the questions about his defense, which I think have quieted a little bit, but still linger a little bit coming into this year.
1: Yeah, I just feel like a lot of the times when you're looking at these lists, you know, there's this talk of well, if he's not going to be a Mike Trout, he's going to be a bust. If you're a pitcher, like if he's not going to be Garrett Cole or if he's not going to be Clayton Kershaw, then he's going to be a bust. Like it's okay if Ryan Mountcastle is, you know, a a three-four wins above replacement player every single year across his career. Right? That's a really solid, well above average Major League Baseball player that any team is going to be happy to have. I mean, you can you can dig into the numbers and say. He's not going to hit 40 home runs a year, so putting him as a a full-time DH, you you don't want somebody who's going to hit, what, 270 with a low on base percentage and and 30 home runs be your DH. I get that. I understand that. But uh, there's a position out there on defense for him, and and I think this is a solid player. He's a smart player. I've mentioned before many times I love the body language when he's out there, even when he's failing. Uh, You learn most from failure, and I think he's definitely doing that. So I'm excited to watch him again as the season kicks off. And I think
2: these lists affirm that.
0: Problem is he's there for five starting the spring training. I don't know. He looks like he's regressed a little bit.
2: (laughs) Yep. Time to to hit the panic button (laughs) because getting off to a slow start. So. Yeah, exactly. You were the first one to buy in on a jersey, Bob, right? One of the first.
0: Yeah. They can borrow it when they put him in the hall of fame.
2: (laughs) Well, you're going to have the real vintage jersey, not uh, like the Fred Lynn jersey they strangely sell in the warehouse.
0: <laughs> Actually, I just uh, ordered a Diaz jersey, road jersey, number 23. Let's go.
2: All right. Well, I hope that uh, you can put that to use uh, sooner rather than later because Diaz uh, hit, hit a very home run. Home run. Yep. <laughs> On yeah, Sunday. Yeah, hit
0: that home run. I, I had to have it after that.
2: Yeah. So one player we have yet to see on this list uh, professionally is Heston Kurstad. And I know that there are still people who can't quite wrap their head around the fact that he was the number two pick in the draft um, because he was ranked generally, you know, around the tenth spot coming into the draft on most top prospects lists. He goes number two, the Orioles in a move that I still think allowed the Orioles to get more talent overall in the draft. Um, we didn't see him, uh, because of health issues over the summer or over the fall in Sarasota. Uh, he's coming into camp now and we mainly want to see him get back to better health, but I'll ask you guys this. Um, what are your expectations for Kurstad And do you see him either as the guy who was, as some of his proponents would argue, best left-handed hitter in the draft last year, his stock was going up before the season was abruptly shut down or do you see him as a guy who has basically a three true outcome player that's value is going to be a little lower?
1: That's another tough one said, yeah. we haven't seen him. I mean, I it's been a long time, even going back to his days at Arkansas. I mean, he only played in what, 10, 12 games and none of those are SEC games. <laughs> Uh, before that, you know, you had, he was uh, an elite performer for Team USA, uh, but, you know, I, I didn't watch any of that film, so I can't speak to that either. I mean, it's really just going off reports of him, and I think, you know, I think it's right to buy on the helium there with him and say that this is a guy who is a a power hitter who's going to mash at Camden Yards from the left side of the plate. I don't think, at least I, I'm going to say I hope that the Orioles wouldn't, you know, just I think the Orioles are much, much higher on him than most fans are. I'll put it that way. I think a lot of Orioles fans saw guys like Austin Martin and and Wanted him because of the Vanderbilt name, the many positions he can play. While Kerstad defensively is, you know, maybe slightly above average, but it's not like a standout tool. The strikeouts are super high. I, I get that when he was in college, so there is that risk of being the three three true outcome hitter. But at the same time, I mean, if he's going to hit 40 home runs a year, uh, and he's got a serviceable arm out there in right field, it seems like then I'm I'm all for this pick. I'm excited to see him, but I, I do think first and foremost, it's is he healthy. That's that's the main concern. This is if 2020 taught us anything, especially when it comes to Orioles players. I mean, life is much more important than baseball. And I just hope for his sake that he he's healthy and he is in camp.
0: Yeah, I think to me, the Orioles probably had Spencer Torkelson, number one with the bullet on their board. If the Tigers, for some reason, didn't take him, we would have done it. But after that, we probably had. Two through seven or two through 10, pretty similar. And maybe we just thought that Kershaw was going to be underrated and we were going to be able to assign him for under slot and be able to do something with it later on, which they did, which I'm very happy with, especially that Kobe Mayo pick, which uh, Eric Longenhagen has him at number. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> I thought I had it. Uh, number 13, number 13, which is pretty high. It's even higher than us. So, yeah, I think. They did the best they could with the pick. I think once you're – they're kind of in tears when it comes to the draft, and I feel like Kurstad is at least in that second tier behind Torkelson, who clearly went first.
2: I found this one ranking interesting and kind of sticking on the topic of Kurstad. and I know Jim Callis was on the Chris Stoner show uh, back on the fall. Um, that was another Baltimore Sports and Life radio program. I know from his interview there that MLB Pipeline does like Kurstad. They actually had him one spot ahead of D.L. Hall. They had Kurstad 69th and Hall 7th. Nice. And I, I look at that, and although I don't personally agree with putting Kurstad ahead of Hall, I think it does speak to something, which is that when you have a left-handed hitter that is this advanced, at least in terms of power, you factor him in coming to Candom Yards, which is going to help him offensively, and has a short right field defensively. So I think even if there are some flaws in this game, you can hide him pretty easily. Um, this is a good player in his own right. And even if it's not the expectations you had for the number two pick, I, I think he's someone that could, if he's healthy, get to Baltimore pretty quickly and be a cont- contributor, at least in terms of the power numbers.
0: Yeah, if he can prove he's healthy and just perform the way that uh, you know he's expected to. I feel like yeah, he'll definitely be a quick mover. I don't see them really dragging their feet with, uh, with him in the minor leagues. So if he comes out and he just shows that power and patience and the ability to play right field, I think a couple of years he could be here, maybe end of 2022 or 2023 at the latest.
1: Yeah, I look at some of the guys like Brett Cumberland and the reports out on him. He had had a fantastic hit in that game against the Phillies. It was great to send it the opposite way there. Uh, But you look at these guys like Brett Cumberland and the positive reports from him. You see what this staff was able to do with like DJ Stewart and Cedric Mullins at the alternate site last year. And so I, I just have a lot of confidence in what this player development staff can do now with a lot of these guys. And, you know, not every player is going to hit the odds of Heson Kerstad being a bust uh, may be pretty high, but I think he has that really, really high floor with that power. And so if anything, he's going to come up and he's going to mash at Cameron Yards. And I think as long as he is healthy, I could see him, I could see him late next year, probably making the big leagues if he's healthy and there's no long-term effects with, with whatever he may have had.
2: Yeah, my expectations for him are that we probably see him at multiple levels of the minor leagues this year. Um, even if he does have to start out in Del Marva just to get healthy and get his reps in, that he could still end the year in Bowie. I, I could see that happening easily. So even if he starts in Little A, I think that by, you know, late August, early September he's finishing out the year in Bowie.
0: That'll be exciting. Yeah.
2: for sure. So speaking of Bowie, we'll now go to the two prospects that we, I think, are expecting to see there, if not for all of this year, for at least part of the year. And we'll start with Grayson Rodriguez, the other pitcher who is consensus top 100 prospect coming into the year. I guess, do you guys have any question marks with Rodriguez after this one year layoff? Uh, And it's really 2020 in some respects was a bit of a lost year because not so much for his development, but because the expectations after that dominant year he had in Marva were so high.
1: No, I don't really have any reservations there when it comes to Rodriguez this year, just because the reports out of Bowie were so glowing on him increased velocity uh, numbers. You see the off speed pitches seem to really be developing according to all, all reports from there. So I think that, Rodriguez is a guy who, again, you're not going to see him make a big leap up to the majors. I've seen some talk out there of Grace Rodriguez possibly making the major leagues at some point at the very end of this year. I I think that is definitely not going to happen, Uh, but certainly going to end the year in Bowie. Uh, I, I doubt he even gets a taste of AAA just because the Orioles are going to be much more cautious with these guys. but. Like Jim Callis said, and he mentioned on one of his podcasts that he said he thinks Grayson Rodriguez is probably one of the more underrated pitching prospects in baseball right now, and that's huge praise for a guy who they have in their top 30 and most other outlets have in their top 30 as well, except for one guy, but, you know, that's, this is a guy that Orioles fans should be legitimately excited about. This is a true pitching prospect that I don't think we need to be afraid about the Orioles messing up.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, if anything he might be a little bit underranked right now, but just because we haven't really had a chance to see his improvements in action. And I feel like if he just comes out and shows off the improved arsenal, refined arsenal uh, quickly in the minor leagues, then he could uh, definitely shoot up these, these ranks come mid season.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think that wherever he does start the year, he certainly ends up in buoy at some point. Um, my expectations for him are still high and, Hopefully we don't see any ill effects of the year off and he's able to get back on the mound and get going again. So now Adley Rutzman, um, who we talked about a lot last week, all three of us predicted that he was going to start the year in Bowie, which looks more likely, I think, now that all of the full season minor league levels are going to be starting the year in May. Uh, Rutzman, as Bob noted, was a Keith Law, had him six and everyone else had him in the top three.
0: I'm sorry, what was that?
2: <laughs> oh no, I was just saying that uh Keith Wall had Adley Rutzman sixth, correct? But he was correct top three otherwise.
0: Yes. Fangraphs had him third. Everyone else had him number two behind Wanda Franco.
2: So basically consensus top three prospects coming into this year. Um you know, and we're gonna have a lot of opportunities to talk about um Rutzman during the year. But I'll start with Bob. Development-wise, what are kind of the things you want to see from Rutzman this year?
0: I just want to see him get at-bats. I want to see him catch these guys, you know, these pitchers, get a get a, you know rapport going with the D.L. Halls and Grayson Rodriguez of the world and even at AAA once he inevitably reaches that. But really, I just want him to get some minor league professional at-bats and just prove that he is who we all think he is. I mean, I haven't seen one negative thing, and the one quote that really stuck out to me was from Jim Callis when they were doing this, like, drafting a team of players under 25 years old, and he went number nine, Adley did, and Jim Callis said that he's as, as sure of a superstar as he's seen at the catcher position, like, just off the charts glowing. Raves said he might have even gone higher, but it's just, it's exciting. Just, he just needs at bats. Even if he's not lighting the world on fire, just get these at bats and, and just slowly, finally make his way towards the major leagues. He just, he's been in the organization for a while now, but he's just doesn't have that many at bats.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's already, he, he hasn't played above what Delmarva uh, it, did he? I don't even know how many at bats he got at Delmarva, but many, he's already. Man. Yeah. And he's already, you know, baseball America had him as one of the top 40 prospects of all time in major league baseball. So I think of course we know what a lot of people think about Ali Rutschman and his future. Like it is the at-bats. Um, he just needs to hit. He just needs to see advanced pitching at this point. That's all I'm going to be watching for is how he handles those uh, top prospects at the double A level. Uh, most importantly, I think are the things that you probably won't be able to see in game. It's what is that relationship that he can form with these young pitchers. That's what I, I'm most excited for. It's going to be a, a very mutually beneficial relationship <laughs> in that aspect. And that's something that's you know, not going to show up in the box score, but.
2: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing him get back on the field, get at bats. And as you both mentioned, work with the young pitchers, and I think he'll benefit as he moves up to minor leagues from working, for, working with some older pitchers as well, guys who have been in the major leagues. Um, so I, I think that's part of the learning experience for him. Um, we'll talk now about some players that fell just outside of these top 100 lists and who multiple outlets cited, I guess, as players that they considered for the list that fell just short. One of them that has come up several times is Gunnar Henderson. I know Baseball America referenced him in this context. Fan did as well. We've talked a lot about this, and I'll start with Nick. Why is it that coming into 2021, even though he's not a top 100 prospect, the expectations are that Gunnar Henderson will be, if not by the end of the season, then maybe even by July when a lot of these lists are updated?
1: I think it's just that projection with him. I mean, this is a guy who's you know 18 years old when the Orioles drafted him. Uh, big physical tools at the plate, big power. A guy can field. He, he's going to stick from the on the left side of the infield. Uh, I know. Eric Langenhagen brought back a lot of these more reports of him probably moving over to third base, maybe even outgrowing that. Uh, but everything else up to this point in the past few months has been that the Orioles view him as a shortstop moving forward, a possible all-star shortstop moving forward. Um, there's just, when you look at the power, his run, his fielding, when you look at all of the, these grades, he gets high marks here. And this is someone who I think in, in that alternate site, we saw the reports come out of there that said, look, he, he was a 19-year-old kid going up against, guys who had major league experience and he struggled. Uh, he struggled bad. He looked at a place there, but by the end of the camp, he was impressing guys like Brandon Hyde. He was impressing the instructors and in what he was able to do at the plate with these guys with major league experience. And he wasn't going to face that at, uh, you know, what do you maybe Delmarva next year or this year uh, he w- or 2020. Sorry, I don't know what time it is anymore. Um, <laughs> he wasn't going to face th- that kind of competition last year but he got to face major league guys and he excelled. So I think that kind of boosted his stock for sure. Uh, The fact that he's possibly going to stick a shortstop is going to boost his stock. And so, yeah, I mean, every single website, Gunnar Henderson is their guy. I hope they're all right. I really, really do.
0: Yeah, it's insane. It's uh, I feel like we've heard more about Gunnar Henderson on all these top 100 prospect lists than any Oriole that's actually on the top 100 prospect list. I mean, he's just constantly getting mentioned left and right, left and right, Corey Seager comparisons. You know, it's just – and he just, again, kind of like Rushman and pretty much everyone in the minor leagues, he just needs to get some of bats and just kind of live up to this and just show – in games, what he obviously has shown at the alternate site last year, and I'm sure already at spring training. They're already putting him in you know, the backups for these early spring training games. He got some time at third base. He got in at bat. I know he struck out, but it's just cool that he's this young and he's already at that level.
2: Yeah, and I think that can be really beneficial for a player um, in his position where he's a younger guy who – I think normally you would expect could reasonably still be three or four years away from the major leagues because of his age, because of his limited experience. But all of these reports you're hearing about uh his makeup, his skill set, the way he performed last summer lead you to believe that he could get there a little bit faster. So I think any exposure he gets to the major leagues right now and to the major league coaching staff really will help him. Yeah, absolutely. So another infielder that was cited by Baseball America, I know as a, someone that was considered for a top 100 list, was uh, Jordan Westberg, who the Orioles drafted out of Mississippi State in 2020. Um, a shortstop, there are some questions about whether or not he sticks to the position long term, but a lot of scouting reports have been glowing about his athleticism, especially since he play, played at Sarasota last fall as part of the Orioles Instructional League. I know we've yet to see Westberg, and there's still some questions about is he going to tap into that power. What does defense look like at the professional level? But um, I'll start with Nick. Do you think we could see Westberg in some top 100 lists next year?
1: Yeah, I think right after the draft, a lot of people were seem. Seeing- happy that the Orioles got a, a real steal here in, in Jordan Westberg. They took him 30th overall. And I think a lot of places saw him getting picked even higher than that. So, you know, I think this is someone who, you look at his athleticism, his defensive skills, even if he moves over to second base, but he does tap into that power. You're talking about a second baseman who can hit 270 with, you know, 20, 25 home runs a year. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, and then I'm I'm just, whenever we, I think about this and we talk about the scenario, I just sit here and daydream and get lost in thoughts about uh, Jordan Westberg at second base, Gunnar Henderson at shortstop, and like Kobe Mayo at third base in like five years, and that just being the dream Orioles infield. Uh, first base, I don't know, maybe Ryan Mountcastle. I don't know, but that left side of the infield is super dangerous. Uh, that is, I'm not going to say San Diego Padres vibes because Fernando Tatis and Machado left side of the infield is about as elite as you can get, but that's that's World Series contending left side of the infield. And, and with a guy like Westberg at second base, if he does tap into that power – you've got somebody you have, I, I don't know. Is this like a Jonathan scope, but better the type player, maybe? Uh, I don't know. But I mean, when we started this podcast a year ago, pretty much almost to the day, um, then this farm system really didn't have much middle infield depth. And now you're looking at possibly next year at this time, we're going to be talking about the Orioles having two middle infielders in the top 100. That's progression.
0: For sure. Yeah. I can't even find any better way to say it than that. I just co-sign everything that Nick just said. Yeah, it, Again, Westberg, another guy who the Orioles brought with him, and he got into some game action, I think even a couple games. Um, so clearly they they think highly of him, and he's got that great exit velocity. It's just a matter of seeing if he can get that into the games and really put some damage on the ball, but he's going to be able to stick either at second or third base, so either he's a he's like a rich man's Jonathan Scope, I think that's a good comparison, or like a non utility player type of Ryan Ryan Limbannon, maybe like the extreme high case ceiling case of uh Rodan Bannon's capabilities.
2: Yeah, I, the Jonathan Scope comparison is an interesting one because when I think about what Jordan Westberg could be, I picture Jonathan Scope with a better glove and more speed. So then that's a really good player. So Westberg is someone that I'm. Very excited to see in the minors next year. And I'm guessing it will be at one of the A-ball levels, either uh, low A Del Marva or high A Aberdeen start off. Um, I know we didn't really get into farm system rankings tonight. And I don't know. I think there's still some outlets that have not released their uh, overall farm system rankings of all 30 organizations. But just talking about these players that we've talked about tonight and connects in the top 100 lists. And I'll start with Bob. What do you think it says about the Orioles farm system that they're having five players uh, in most top pros- top 100 prospects lists? And most reports, I think even some of the ones that Orioles fans would view as pessimistic, acknowledge this organization is getting a little better.
0: Yeah, and I would say outside of Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg, I think Michael Bauman's not that far off of top 100, you know, consideration either. But Clearly, it says we're the 18th best farm system in baseball. Keith Law has it spot on. No. Uh, I think we're solidly top 10, solidly top 10 and rising, in my opinion. We're already, we haven't mentioned it yet, but we're already linked to uh, the 17th best international prospect in next year's class. And who knows? Maybe they'll just do even better than that. But it's still early there. But clearly, we're not going to stop uh, acquiring talent under Michael Elias, we have the fifth pick overall again, coming up, we have international under our belts, still got some trades up his sleeves. I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I think we're solid top 10 rising top five by mid season, or at least this time next year.
1: Yeah. You know, we got to stop talking about Keith Law. He's going to jump in our DMS and I ain't got time for that again. I've dealt with it once. I don't want to <laughs> deal with it again. Um, but I mean, it's, it's it's good. I mean, this is positive. This is progression. Like I mentioned before, you, I mean, Michael Ice comes in and he literally has to build the international scene from the ground up. Uh, you're building an analytics depart, department from the ground up. You know, these other you listen to other podcasts talk about when you go on these scouting trips down into the Dominican and, and outside the United States. And the joke was, well, everybody's here, it, 29 guys. Yep, because everyone knew there's no representative going to be there for the Orioles. This is coming from a scout who went on these trips and said there were no Orioles representatives there. Yes, they they did international scouting. I I know we've gotten a few guys, but nothing at this level that's going to bring in the top talents. And and like Bob mentioned, we're already connected. It's very, very early. And we've already saw like a Samuel Basalo, who we stole from the Yankees. He was committed to the Yankees early on, but now he's an Oriole. Uh, some pictures of him up on Instagram in an Orioles uniform look awesome. They're getting ready for action down there in the Dominican. But yeah, I think you're going to see that progression increase. You're talking about possibly inking a guy for close to $2 million next year on the international market, which is huge. Uh, this farm system right now, I do, I'll do. i give Keith Law the benefit of the doubt slightly. I'm not going to say this is 18th ranked. I can't go farm system by system, farm system and compare, but, uh, you know, it maybe the Orioles system does skew a little up because you have a guy like Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez who are such elite prospects at the top. Uh, but there are holes in this system. I will give them that benefit of the doubt. But Michael Ice is filling the system with international talent and they're going to have a top five pick next year. And there's so many options whether it's a Jack Leiter, whether it's a Jaden Hill, whoever it, the pick may be, one of the high school kids that's going to be another top 100 prospects, maybe top 50 even prospects. So we're trending in the right direction. It's exciting. I'm excited, even though this minor league season is going to be delayed. We're going to have minor league baseball again, and we're finally going to be able to talk about these guys after watching them live, which is going to be fun.
2: Yeah, that's something I know that we have been anxious for for a while here on this show, and I know that when these players finally are back on the field, it's going to be uh, a lot of fun show. So, So uh, continue to listen to us, and we'll have updates throughout spring training on some of the prospects that are getting in, as well as some of the position battles as they pop up. Um, And also continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the birds, visit Baltimore sports and life for the latest stories covering the Orioles, Ravens, Terps, and more and hop on the message board and be sure to join in discussion. Uh, For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedin. You've been listening to on the birds.